This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hi, I'm Ariel and welcome back to, or welcome to, Pulling Back the Canvas. Oh, I've got a, uh, sorry, my co-host is a little bit late. Uh, my co-host has just arrived, she got caught in the rain. So yeah, introducing Maud the cat. Uh, you might hear her purring, um, just ignore that. Uh, she just wants to hang out. And if I don't let her hang out, she will claw at my door and meow the whole way through. So we're going to have to compromise with her um, purring, possibly into the microphone um, throughout this. So <laughs> apologies in advance. Anyway, this is the podcast where I talk about the stories that have inspired pieces of artwork. So it could be something legendary or historical. Just anything that's that's inspired <laughs> the creation of a piece of art, basically. <laughs> How are you, by the way? Uh, I hope you're going. I hope you're going all well. Um, cra- crazy weather we've been having. Hey, I'm currently in the north of England, further north than uh, Durham, and uh, we've had some pretty crazy uh, snow drifts going on like drifts just caused by wind like it hasn't snowed for a couple of days and we still had meter drifts so that was that was a bunch of fun today though i'm gonna have a chat about a cartoon um yeah i we can we can just head on into it i've i don't have a cup of tea this time oh i should have i should have brought a cup, cup of tea i've got a cat instead in any case, uh, I hope you're comfortable, and I shall begin. <laughs> so this cartoon, it's from 1906, and it's an American cartoon by a guy called J.A. Mitchell, and it was published in a socialist newspaper, The Appeal to Reason, um, same date. The cartoon, though, is basically... Uh, a cartoon rendition, or a copy if you want to put it bluntly, of the painting From the Depths by artist William Balfour Kerr, um, which was published in his book The Silent War the same year, so all in 1906. The painting is really quite striking, um, and some of the details are clearer. It's a lot more dramatic, but I'm going to focus on the cartoon version instead. I'll briefly describe the the cartoon before I go into why I've chosen to talk about the cartoon instead of the painting. So the cartoon depicts uh, a scene, obviously, um, and in the bottom third of the scene is a group of people all huddled and crushed and in this dark, squalid space, trying to push up against their ceiling. Through the ceiling, or is it a floor? Because through this, there is a fist punching up through the tiles. And in the scene above, in the top two thirds, is a scene in a ballroom with people dressed in... Uh, fancy dresses and tuxedos and there's some 
classical statues in the back and it's all bright and um, uh, luxurious. So basically, we've got a scene of these people coming from the depths, thus the name, um, to crack open uh, and punch through to this upper world. So this is effectively a socialist cartoon. We've got the workers in the bottom being physically um, suppressed um, by the world above them and they are punching through um, to, to this upper elite world. Now I'm going to focus on the cartoon instead of the painting because I think it has a more effective history and use as a medium of political storytelling. I'm going to take a quote from Eugene Victor Debs, who was a major figure in American socialism, and he actually ran for president um, a few times, most importantly in um, 1920, where he won one million votes, um, I think about 6% of the popular vote, uh, which is pretty pretty impressive. But his quote about cartoons and political cartoons is that, quote, the true art of the untrammeled cartoonist is now being developed, and he will be one of the most inspiring factors in the propaganda of the revolution. Cartooning capitalism is far more inspiring than capitalistic cartooning, end quote. So it's this idea of cartoons becoming a medium that is really quite important to just general population and getting a quick but effective message out. Um, and this sort of idea is in the abstract to an article called Effectiveness of Cartoons as a Uniquely Visual Medium for Orienting Social Issues in 2009 by Linus Abraham. I couldn't access the whole article, which was really annoying, but the abstract is still helpful. Um, and this is a quote, uh, quote, despite the perception in some quarters that cartoons constitute an important medium for framing social issues, they are often dismissed on the grounds of political absurdity and ideological insignificance. Cartoons are seen as offering just passing chuckles rather than any deeper reflection on social issues, end quote. And he goes on to say that then um, cartoons are seen as just a way of communicating or talking about something visually rather than a way to deeply analyse something. Um, and that's sort of the popular view on them. But he sets out his, his own argument that actually they are really helpful and are, and are an effective way of persuading people visually. They create someone to have, you know, a deep reflection in what they're looking at. And if anyone has uh, done a history A-level or GCSE, you're always told when analysing a source that cartoons would have reached, you know, a wider audience because they're visual and are quick to look at and understand immediately. So political cartoons are actually really quite important and they aren't just uh, images that are a bit trivial for aimed at making people laugh. They are um, an effective medium of 
displaying political ideologies and that's why I'm focusing on the cartoon instead of the painting. Yeah, I'm gonna go into the details in the cartoon because they are really quite interesting, um, especially from the point of view of telling the story of socialism or what socialism was representing in the early 20th century when when the painting and the cartoon were made. Okay, so details in the cartoon itself. Let's let's get into it. I'm going to start with the classical references in the cartoon. Um, they're at the top of the image. Let's have a chat about it. In the background, you see a couple of statues. Um, I'll talk about them in a little bit, but they are um, classical Greek statues. Um, and it brings up this topic of elitism that is associated with uh, the subject of classics. And it's something that's a bit uncomfortable <laughs> as someone who is learning ancient history, but it is something that should be um, noted. I'm going to take a quote from that I found in the book The Silk Roads by Peter Frankopan, um, and it's in his preface, but he quotes another author, uh, Eric Wolf, from his Europe and the People Without History, and the quote is as follows, quote, ancient Greece begat Rome, Rome begat Christian Europe, Christian Europe begat the Renaissance, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment, political democracy, and the Industrial Revolution. Industry crossed with democracy, in turn yielded the United States, embodying the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. End quote. And I thought that was a pretty succinct way of explaining perceptions of Western history. Western history in the sense that we um, place all of our sort of uh, current political and cultural ideas on this ancient society in a lot of ways. And putting these references in a socialist piece of artwork is really interesting uh, as it is associating these political and cultural ideas with this upper ruling class. And art itself is something that can be seen as elitist. Um, I'm constantly aware that the art that I talk about is by mostly men uh, that had the means to fund a lifestyle of art. And not everyone can afford that. Uh, art, or at least the art we have today, is predominantly by rich men. And then most of that is rich white men, or men that manage to find rich patrons to fund them. We sort of have an elite picture of art and life through artwork. Um, and whilst a lot of it is truly beautiful and holds some wonderful stories, some of which I have talked about, it would be negligent of me to not question that artwork and the potentially elitist nature of it. Um, art nowadays is much more open to all to view or to make. 
and there's no rules or ex expectations for what it should be created. Art was something for rich individuals as well to collect and display to their equally rich friends. Uh, in regards to England, in 1759 the British Museum was open and it offered free admission to people, but the tickets had to be asked for in writing in advance, thus only the literate were able to attend. Uh, the National Gallery was better at the whole open to the public thing, as uh, it opened in 1824. Then again, free entry wasn't granted to National Galleries and Museums until 2001. So that's a pretty wide span of time before art was truly or truly felt public. This is a pretty <laughs> extensive tangent from the original cartoon, but it's all in the same vein of, of thought and political thought. Uh, it's easy to see why there's these classical statues. Um, the ones you can see are disco bolus. <laughs> I can't say it. I want to say disco bolus, but you know, that's going to be very wrong. Disco bolus, uh, a Greek sculpture. Uh, it has a discus wielding athlete, really quite famous and recognisable. You've also got the Venus de Milo, another Greek statue, and this one's of Aphrodite. I think there's also an Athena in the background. But it's a bit fuzzy, not really sure. The whole point is that these classical references are further evidence of the idea of an elite class. Mitchell here is portraying this upper class literally and figuratively in the cartoon, and they're able to enjoy dinner parties in the presence of these famous artworks and these artworks are seen as the pinnacle of civilization and the precursor for their own life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, <laughs> very extensive on those statues, but I think they're not um, they're not there just for the fun of it. They have immense symbolic significance. The columns in the background are also showing signs of cracking. Uh, I can't imagine this was an unplanned detail either. Uh, the elite class is being presented as showing cracks in its veneer. It's not flawless, it's not impenetrable, as further shown through the fist punching through the floor. The reactions of the people are also really quite interesting. There's outright fear in some faces, chairs are falling and being strewn everywhere as people are rushing to their feet to get away from this unidentifiable fist uh, coming out of the floor. Um, there's also intrigue. Uh, one of the men at the front on the left, he, he stares down at this fist in curiosity. Not sure what that represents. It's almost like he's approaching a wild animal. Um, the man on the right, though, looks furious. Uh, and somewhat disgusted, but he hasn't moved an inch. He's still sort of sat quite portly on his chair, just staring down in anger at this fist. He's firmly... It, it, it's, is he, I don't know, possibly showing that the upper class will at heart remain unmovable? Don't know. 
moving on to the people rising through the floor or ceiling. I can't really tell if they're holding up the floor. I think they must be holding up the floor because Mitchell would but then be showing how the workers are the ones that are holding up this elite lifestyle. Uh, it could also be that they're being pushed down by the floor or their ceiling. Um, they're being stifled by this upper class, both valid. I mean, both are valid to a socialist perception. The workers are also a mixture of exhausted, uh, lacking clothes, um, unlike the grandly dressed individuals above, and all are at different different levels of supporting the floor. And like the scene above, they're a mix of genders and ages, but they're all submerged in this darkness. The working class is punching through into this world of the elite. They're disturbing their realm considerably, and they're no longer reduced to the space they're allotted. Coming back to the From the Depths title for, for the painting, uh, and as the cartoon is taglined. Um, the Library of Congress had a bit of information about it, and they describe it as, quote, a lavish social event in a large ballroom attended by the well-to-do. The party is disrupted when a fist erupts through the floor, beneath which are the struggling masses of the less fortunate who provide the foundation support on which the wealthy rest. So that's a good way of summing up the image as a whole. And again, going back to the medium of cartoons and the idea that cartoons are supposed to make people laugh, I don't think anyone, regardless of their political ideology, is having a giggle at this one. I want to go into a little bit of surrounding history um, concerning socialism within America, because I think it's important to the context of the cartoon and also what happened afterwards. This following information about the history of socialism in America uh, is from a YouTube video I found called History of Socialism in, Amer in America um, by The Origin of Everything and it's hosted by Danielle Bainbridge and it was super helpful. Highly recommend if you want a quick overview but a lot of the ideas will be coming from that. The cartoon is dated before the communist revolution in Russia, um, and this is a time of prosperity for the rich in America. And also there's attempts at unions at this time. In the late 19th century, there'd been groups uh, such as the Knights of Labour, which were pushing for better uh, workers' rights, but that ended a bit badly due to um, various bombings and riots that killed a few people. Not, not the best representation of unions. Uh, in the 19th century, um, a thing called utopian socialism was going on. It was a reaction to the Industrial Revolution as people were working and living communally more. 
and there was worsening social divide between the rich and poor. So people were coming up with these utopian societies where everyone would live and work together equally. Uh, the Communist Manifesto uh, came along in 1848, uh, written by Marx and Engels, which called for workers to seize the means of production from the upper slash ruling classes. So alongside this, socialism was rising in the US. As Bainbridge describes it in her video, they're parallel ideologies, but somewhat separate. And it was this European communism that would affect the perceptions of socialism within America. Socialist candidates uh, were gaining support for office in these late 19th to early 20th century in America. And by about 1912, there were 300 different publications about socialism. My co-host has been sitting in my lap this whole time and I'm starting to get pins and needles. It's taken about 20 minutes, but we're finally there. I'm getting pins and needles, but I'm not allowed to move because because she's kindly co-hosting with me. Okay, moving on. The Socialist Party reached a pretty diverse audience. Figures like Debs, who we mentioned earlier, then had to unite them under the idea that socialism would solve inequality. Just after I had complained about my pins and needles, Maud has decided that she wants to leave. So I'll never insult her again. I am truly... I've been taken down a peg. I have to let her out now. Huh. Socialism and the Industrial Revolution again. I don't know what that means. That's a note I made to myself. But I think that what I meant <laughs> is that due to the Industrial Revolution and the fact that a lot of workers were employed in factories for production of a wide range of things whilst being overseen by a singular owner, boss... Uh, this this idea that the boss was making more money than those who the the individuals making his product was fueling quite a few people and fueling anger. Uh, in 1917, as a lot of us are taught in school, the communist revolution occurred in Russia. The Soviet Union and then the association with authoritarianism, so absolute governmental rule with no public freedom, was associated with socialism because of the communist state that was developing there. These perceptions were also pushed by the government uh, in messaging or propaganda, if you want to put it that way, and these perceptions became embedded in American political thought. Uh, pushing foreign policy and actions taken by the country from World War One onwards. I mean, the Korean War in the 50s saw American involvement because of the North Korean communist threat. Occupation in Vietnam also presented as a fight against communist involvement and the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that jazz. Everything you learn in A-level history, so I'm going <laughs> to stop talking about it before I break out in hives. Um, 
Um, the rise of McCarthyism happened as well. Um, this was led by fears that there'd be a revolution in America, like there was in Russia. The Red Scare uh, developed um, with fear of communism. Worker strikes were happening at the time uh, for better wages, and because after returning to those jobs in World War One, they felt they weren't getting uh, weren't getting properly paid, and this worsened uh, with hundreds of anarchist bombings. This led to the uh, the Palmer raids, where socialists or radical thinkers were arrested, and some of them were deported. So socialism went from a pretty popular political ideology, which gained a socialist candidate for presidency one million votes, then turned into something that was demonised and got you deported. It was it was pretty popular at the time that. Uh, this cartoon and painting was produced as it gave a sense of power to workers who were, felt they were at the bottom of this capitalist lot, uh, thus the cartoon, the working class then punching up and breaking the veneer of the ruling class surrounded in their grandeur. Socialism is even more topical today. Um, the idea of the working class providing the wealth of the rich um, seen in the cartoon with the uh, lower class holding up the ceiling or uh, the floor of the elite world. Um, this is a topic that's been brought up in light of COVID-19. Oh, we don't really want to think about COVID-19, but it's topical. You can search a lot of articles on, on this, uh, particularly how the wealth of the world's top billionaires rose to 10.2 trillion dollars so that's 7.8 trillion pounds um in 2020 and this is from a guardian article on the 7th of october 2020 uh, jeff bezos is is on that list of billionaires i'm sure we've all heard his name flying around a bit it's it's easy to contrast his wealth against Amazon workers, um, a lot of whom have spoken out about feeling exploited, especially temporary workers who are put on zero-hour contracts, something that's apparently against Amazon's own policy. Uh, one worker was interviewed by ITV, saying that he was working for four weeks and hadn't been paid, with shifts cancelling last minute, which is quite jarring against the UK Amazon profits of almost £20 billion. A spokesperson said that zero-hour contracts weren't happening. So, yeah, pretty topical, the ideas of workers compared to the, the companies that they're working for. I'm very much not an expert on this, and I'm new to learning about it but I do want to briefly um, bring up the relationship between socialism and racism. The theories 
about racial injustice and the structural violence against minorities, both in the US and the UK, and the role of capitalism in the upholding of structural racism has also come to the forefront of discussion. But these uh, conversations and campaigns have been going on for decades through um, prominent figures such as Angela Davis, Audre Lorde, James Baldwin, and so on and so forth. They all advocated for socialism or a version of it in order to break down racial inequality through capitalism that was holding back economic opportunities for the black population. Especially as, if we think back to the cartoon, the black population, and this is in America, have the highest poverty rate. And whilst it has decreased in recent years, in the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was a lot higher uh, than other ethnicities, especially white poverty. And that's only in the 50s, 60s and 70s when these figures were speaking out about the relationship between um, capitalism and racism. So then if you think back to um, the time when this cartoon was was made, it must have been <laughs> astronomically worse, especially in, in regards to economic opportunities of the black population. Um, there are also socialist cartoons um, depicting black people and their involvement in socialist in the socialist movement in the late 19th, early 20th century. So this isn't just a white movement, um, and that's really important to remember, even though in this cartoon it is all white faces. Um, But this similar struggle of fighting against an upper oppressor, whether it's an economic or racial oppressor, or both working hand in hand, it makes sense for the resurgence of socialism to occur within black liberation groups. Um, so this cartoon has is really important in its own context, considering the movement of socialism um, in the early 20th century off the back of the Industrial Revolution. But it also is relevant throughout the 20th century and this modern period of politics um yeah and it holds its own story not of you know knights slaying dragons or philosophers or (laughs) bards on top of a giant cliff um in the face of a king invading Wales. It's not that kind of story, but it is a story of social change um, and social expectations of what a government should be doing for its people or the freedoms of its... I'm waffling a bit. (laughs) But it's an important storytelling tool through its medium of a cartoon so it can reach a greater number of people. It's important political storytelling. It is arguably a a narrative piece of art. And a narrative art is when, when a piece of artwork tells a story, simply enough. And this is telling a story of social inequality, effectively. 
and uh, it is, yeah, as I said, important in um, recent development of politics, etc. So I hope that's been interesting to listen to, conversation of politics, but I thought this was a really interesting piece in order to talk about that. Um, and it's a, quite an evocative piece. It's quite striking. Whatever side of the political fence you are on, um, it, it elicits... <laughs> when have I suddenly got so well-spoken? Elicits. Um, <laughs> it certainly has a particular point of view, and you can agree with it, you don't have to agree with it, but you can admit that it is uh, shows a moment in time of great social change and political change which is still which is still being talked about and is relevant up to modern day and I like not leaving a piece in the past I like to take it through its relevancy um, throughout history and this one's a good one for that little bits of bibliography I guess uh, if you want to call it that <laughs> um, I, I got quite a lot of info from a page called Cartooning Capitalism by Michael Cohen. It's a whole site about different early 20th century socialist cartoons and the history accompanying them, which is really interesting if you want to know more about this kind of genre of artwork. Um, I went to the US sen uh, census site for that info on poverty and equality in America, and also as I mentioned, the history of socialism in America by the origin of everything on YouTube. So I think there was a couple of more um, web pages in there, but I have since lost them because I'm my brain sometimes just doesn't work and doesn't bookmark pages. <laughs> so, but it's it's an easy enough thing to find a lot of information on online. I hope you found it interesting. In any case, it's a interesting discussion. Um, to bring up. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think there's anything else. I'll see you next time. I hope you stay safe and happy as always, or as happy as you can be. No pressure to be overly positive. Just chug on through and I'll see you next time. I'm Ariel and this has been Pulling Back the Canvas. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.